Now, in part two of Where the Road Takes Me, we bring you the second and concluding part of the play, The Case Currently in Hand, which was written by Mike Russell from Clonakilty. The play deals with the legal wrangling that took place in the aftermath of the executions. It takes place in the offices of a legal firm in Dublin, where the rights of the executions are being argued by the state and the wrongs argued by those representing the rights of the four men. At the end of part one last week, and because discussions were beginning to sound gruesome and emotional, the character Margaret was asked if she wished to leave the room. Margaret refused the offer and stated that she wished to hear all, and so the case continued. Mr Dixon? So, the third avenue for the prosecution is the fact that everything that happened on the morning of 8th of December in Mountjoy Jail was illegal. These men were afforded no trial, they had no access to legal representation and had no time to lodge an appeal. In short, due process was completely denied. Prosecution rests. Sir? Uh, Thank you, Margaret. This was a time of war, and courtesy of the army resolution, we, as a country, were under martial law. Against the democratic wishes of the people, a cohort of irregulars were wreaking havoc up and down the nation, derailing trains, cutting telegram cables, disrupting the postal services, attacking and killing members of the defence forces, all in an effort to have the Anglo-Irish peace treaty cast but aside. But even within the Furthermore, resolution, prisoners if are the execution strategy some won the civil war, then it shortened the conflict. And in so doing, saved many lives, especially civilian ones. Supreme elex salus populi. The safety of the people is the supreme law, yes. But to punish one man for the actions of another? It's monstrous. It's contrary to the Geneva Convention, to all known systems of justice, and for a state, in virtually its first official act, to take life without due process? Oh, even a sham trial is better than none at all. And therein lies our problem. So, Margaret, your thoughts, please. Well... It is grisly stuff, sir, but some things would appear to be obvious. Firstly, and most tragically, the conduct of this war appears to have left more bitterness than the issues which caused it. Yes, Margaret, but that is nearly always the case. We are not unique. And secondly, While the government may feel that they had good reason at the time and in the heat of battle, to act in the way they did, in the eyes of the law, one would suspect they would have a genuine difficulty defending it. Sir, if you will allow me one more question. I'm curious to know what Mr Dixon's advice to our client would be in this case. Oh, well, I believe that their safest course of action would be, firstly, to gather together as much documentation as is possible and and burn it. And secondly, issue a government pardon to all those involved. Really? And so, the case decided. Uh, Very good, Mr Dixon. I concur. 
And my recommendation to you, sir, would be, please, get away from this case. Mm. But if you can't, I would deliver my counsel orally, rather than in writing. The firm should be protected. Obviously. Right. Uh, That's enough for today. Uh, You'll find your next brief on Margaret's desk outside. A little more straightforward, this one, probate case. Very run-of-the-mill. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, Ma'am. Mr. Dixon. Sir? Uh, Yes, Margaret? Oh, Mr. Dixon, you're still here? Uh, Yes, sir. I find myself at an impasse. Excuse me? An impasse, sir. Hmm. Proceed. (coughs) Uh, uh, Margaret, uh, may we have the room, please? Now, Mr. Dixon. (sighs) Do you sleep well, sir? Are you trying to be insulting, Dixon? Or is it just accidental? Oh, not at all, sir. I have difficulty sleeping sometimes. And rather than lie awake thinking, I've taken to walking along the canal near my lodgings. Some nights, the fog rolls in off the sea at Ring's End. It mixes with the smoke, which always seems to hang in the air and forms an eerie blanket which settles on the city. Nothing can be seen, not people or places. Not even your own reflection in the water. But everything can be heard. The noises sound quite ghostly. And there, listening, it occurs to me that there is another fog upon this city and its people. Indeed, upon the whole country. It came in with this battle and has never lifted. There are ghosts here too, in this fog. Calling out, I'm here. I'm just here. And the living all stumble around, with arms outstretched, feeling blindly in front of themselves, in hope of finding someone, someone to cling to, someone from their side to protect them from the ghost. Oh, for pity's sake, man. But there's a price to pay. The price of not being alone. You must be loyal. You must be strong. Enough, sir. I'm losing my patience with all of them. I have found it difficult to get anyone to talk about these events, especially being, as you point out, an Englishman. Everyone knows what happened, yet they keep their silence. They hold back through fear or guilt or loyalty never admitting a wrong on their side or a merit on the other. I know wrongs were committed on both sides, but as this is the case, currently in hand, I will make the case for Dick Barrett. Then, sir, be aware that if you proceed, you're putting your future at this firm in jeopardy. We know. As you wish. As a matter of record, that General Collins, who was also very close to Barrett, did not agree with execution in principle during this conflict. As just a short few weeks before he was killed, he communicated as much to the rest of his government. And I quote, I do not agree with shooting of unarmed men, unquote. Indeed, 
Many now believe that were he still alive, such actions would not have been permitted. That is a hypothetical. Cannot be proved. The government is acutely aware that it is on a sticky wicket. This is the only time in the short history of this state where people are deprived of their lives by government order without some semblance of judicial procedure. And yet, there are curiously few minutes kept of any meeting where executions were discussed, obviously to protect themselves from the type of thing we are discussing here, now, today. Absence of evidence is not proof of guilt. But the government of any state must conduct their affairs to the highest standard. This is shoddy workmanship. With respect, sir. With respect means with no respect at all. With respect, sir. So aware was the government of the dubious nature of its actions that by the very next day a number of them were speaking in the Doyle of an indemnity bill being brought forward to alleviate them of their sins. Sins? Sins? Have you lost all reason? If that is your rationale, you should exchange your wig for a collar and a court for a church. Well... I know that it's not my place... But I feel I must impress upon you again how important it is that we do not take this particular case onto our books. The reputational damage could be immense. You are correct, Mr Dixon. It is not your place. However, as you have seen fit to offer a recommendation, then you may rest assured that I will give it consideration. Oh, no, you won't. Yes, I will. But I must tell you, that I see no reason, good or bad, why we should not take this case. Go home, Mr. Dixon. Get some rest. Come in on Monday, preferably shaven and ready for work, or not, whichever you see fit. All sides suffered loss in this conflict. Hales didn't even vote for the army resolution. He wasn't even in the door. Over 80 executions! Some carried out when the war was virtually over. They wanted it finished. They didn't want some sort of tie with a replay in the autumn. So where does justice come into it? Oh, come now, sir. You know better than this. We're not here to deliver justice. Did you not go to law school? When you were there, did you not learn the legal structure of a democratic society? No? Then, let me enlighten you. It starts... With the people. The people elect the government. The government pass the laws. The judge facilitates the juries, which are made up again of the people, to come to a judgment. So, it is the people who are responsible for justice. Our job, as lawyers, is solely to represent our client so that he or she does not find themselves at a disadvantage through ignorance of the law. And what then, sir, of Dick Barrett? Do you not think he found himself at a disadvantage? No judge, no jury, no lawyer. What is it? Just what is it about this Barrett lad that has you so exercised? In God's name, why... I'm jealous! And God forgive me at the same time, ashamed of my jealousy. Jealous? How can that be? Please, tell me. I, I, I'm lost. I have seen so much of killing and experienced firsthand the effect that that can have upon men. 
acts of selfless sacrifice committed alongside ones of shameful cowardice. And yet, I never before encountered a man who responded so admirably when faced with his own mortality. In his own words, I am prepared to die and glad that I die for the same cause as Tone, Emmett and Pierce. And do not bear ill will or dream of reprisals. It is he who leads his comrades down the stairs into their place of execution, and according to one man on duty in the yard on that morning, as he walks forward from the jail door, he starts singing, singing. When he needs it most, his courage is unwavering. His conviction is undiminished. That is all well and good, but you have nothing to be jealous of. You fought in the Great War. You served your country with distinction, did you not? I was in Flanders, yes, and I wasn't a conscript. I volunteered. I marched off to battle in full confidence that our cause was just and God was on our side. Then why should you feel jealous of anyone? His certainty never wavered. Never wavered. Hmm? So, what? He, he, he passed over and all the trumpets sounded for him on the other side? Sir? I heard you say it earlier. What does it mean? It's, it's a quotation from... I know the quotation and I know what it means. What I want to know is, what does it mean to you? It is used quite often on war memorials back home. There is one such in my town, uh, which commemorates those chaps from our district who left to fight and, and never returned. Those who fought with Gordon in Khartoum, then later in the Boer War, and probably by now, those fellows who left with me and went to Belgium. It is the promise of salvation, glorious reward for selfless deeds. Mm. You've never gone back home, have you? You would have been welcomed as a hero. Why? I thought you didn't need to know why. Just tell me. Ah, oh, it feels like I never left. Every time I close my eyes, I'm back there, on that field, and it is wretched. Shelling has been going on day and night, day and night. The noise is indescribable. Then suddenly it stops. The Major calls on me and together we do a sweep around to survey the damage. We come across this young chap, a private from back home. He is lying on his side with his hands clasped to his head, crying and shaking uncontrollably. The Major is almost puce with rage, and within ten minutes' time, a small firing party is foiled. Please, I plead for the boy. He's unwell. The chap is unwell. The man's a coward. Form a party. Oh, no, sir, please. Fire! But he is shot anyway, for leaving his post. You witness this? Oh, he does not die straight away. Just lies there, slumped over in the mud, blood seeping across his tunic. He is whispering something, so I bend down to hold his hand. I'm here. I'm just here. I'm here. I'm just here. 
He must think he is out in no man's land, and someone will come to help him. Then the Major unclasps his holster, removes his pistol, and hands it to me. The coup de grace. When needed most, my courage deserts me. Oh, my boy, you had no choice. You were under orders. Had you refused, you yourself would have been shot. And not a day goes by where I do not wish I had made that very choice. As we walk away from there, the Major pats me on the back and says, Good man, that had to be done. It will be a lesson to the rest of them. So, sir, do you think trumpets will sound for me? (laughs) You seem determined to bring God into this. Oh, I, I do not know. I've I've always been fascinated by war. I've read much on the subject, but I must confess I'm out of my orbit here. War? War is just men trying to make it to the end of one more day. But I know that you were awarded a medal for valour. <laughs> oh, two days later, I led a charge and was blown head over heels before I even got out of the trench. By the time I woke up, they had saved my leg, pinned a medal to my chest and put me on a boat back to England. But you never went home. Home? Ah, every once in a while, usually on a Thursday. That chap's mother comes into our shop. I stayed in London and went to law school. A reward, you see, for my service. It's quite a story. And this is the first time you've spoken of it, I take it? (sighs) Yes. I thought so. Well, I don't know about you, but I could do with a drink. Would you care to join me? Uh, This may not help, but there is a man who offers a somewhat different perspective. Uh, Just a moment. Mm. Now, where is it? Uh, Ah, yes. Here it is. Uh, I was given this a long, long time ago. There's one passage in particular which over the years has inspired and challenged me in equal measure. (laughs) Would you care to read it? You have it underlined. In great contests, each party claims to act in accordance with the will of God. In the present civil war, it is quite possible that God's purpose is something different from the purpose of either party. Yet the contest proceeds. Who wrote this? That was Abraham Lincoln in 1862. At the time, in the war against the Confederacy, things were going very badly, and yet he still had the capacity to come up with this. It is a fine sentiment. I I think I could agree with it. You cannot save your young private. He is gone. And neither can you save Dick Barrett. Hmm, yes. There is a story I came across when I was researching this case. Just a small story, really. Apparently, Barrett was hiding in a house in West Cork. The local regiment raid the house, do a quick search, but don't find him. They exit the house, and while they're still right out front, he slips out the back finds some local chap and sends him to warn Hales, who was nearby, of danger. His first thought was the safety of his friend. How the 
devil do these men end up on different sides? By both trying to do the right thing. They were lucky, though. How was that, sir? Well, it would seem that they didn't become enemies. And this is what usually happens. The friends become enemies and accuse one another of treachery. And next, they transform their leaders into gods and their foes into demons. But here's the rub. When your foe is a demon, you can do unspeakable things to him. Monstrous things. Things that would shame the most primitive savage. Those men with me in Flanders, I would have done anything for them. Die, kill. I just didn't expect to have to kill my own. Surely what happened here is wrong, sir. Manifestly. I've checked the records. Barrett's death has never even been properly registered. Does he then just fade away into the fog? His name left unspoken. I do not know. Oh, I cannot do this work anymore. Well, what would you do instead? I don't know, but I can't do this. Hmm. You know, should this government fall, there may be some redress for Mr Barrett through the courts. But there may not. It is a hypothetical. If there is, the battle will have moved from the streets and the hillside to the courtroom. The contest proceeds. And yet, one gesture given freely would be worth ten extracted by the courts. And that won't happen. Not ever? Well, not now. Maybe in time we can move beyond the contest. Maybe after people have worked together for long enough, sported together for long enough, there may come a time when we can sit in the same room be civil to one another and not demand that the other change his views. Later again, we may become capable, while still being conscious of what we have suffered, of admitting that I have caused suffering too. Another hypothetical. And on that note, look, it's time for me to cease being a barrister and to become a husband once more. <coughs> Sir, thank you for the sherry. Your book, sir. Oh, I'd, I'd like you to keep that. I, I do hope you find something in there. Over the weekend, I suggest you take some time to think about what you do next. If you decide to remain with this firm, I, I should be most happy. If you do not, I would urge you to continue to practice law. It has many fields, and I expect there will be a good fit to be had somewhere. Either way, you should know that I do now. Intend to give your recommendation my fullest consideration. Thank you, sir. Miss O'Connor? Ma'am? You survived. I have resented you for so long. Oh, I, I really must be leaving. Good afternoon, Miss O'Connor. Please, Mr Dixon, please. I, I owe you an apology... When I left the room, I didn't close the door. Oh. The story you told touched me deeply. I am sorry for my intrusion. Now, please listen to me. You must go back home. You do know that, don't you? But how? What could I ever say to his mother? Her heart is already broken... You must come to terms with your part in that. 
You see, may I call you David? Of course. You see, David, when I choose to have this career, I knew I would never have a family. Children. Then my brother asked me to be godmother to his boy, and he became like my own son. I doted on him. Like you, he marched off to Belgium in 1914. He went in search of a different prize, home rule. He said he would free Ireland from the British by fighting for them. When he didn't come back, I resented everything. The men who told him to go, the British for taking him, the Dick Barretts and Sean Haleses for stealing his prize of freeing Ireland. Even you. When you lose what you love, you must fill that void with something. Resentment is easy enough to find. He's always with you, isn't he? He's here, now, listening. And when you talk to him, what do you say? Just, I'm sorry. Then say that to his mother. Hmm, yeah. Thank you. What was his name, your young private? Oh, Reed. His name was Charlie Reed. Why do you ask? Oh, just to hear it, I suppose. Thank you, David. Oh, Mum. The case currently in hand was written by Mike Russell, directed by Stephen Berwin, produced by Donny Walsh with the support of Conor Nelligan. Cork County Council Commemoration Grand Scheme. Sir was played by Alf McCarthy. Margaret was played by Sheila Wall. Dixon was played by John Hughes. Dick Barrett was played by Brendan Hayes. And Charlie Reed played by Vinnie O'Donovan. The Trumpet Lament was written and played by Michael Russell. Our thanks to John Green of C103 FM, O'Donovan's Hotel, Clonakilty. Sound recording was by Cormac O'Connor. Song design and editing by Bill Lance. The source material used for this production, The Irish Civil War, Law, Execution and Atrocity by Sean Enright. Dick Barrett, His Life and Death by Balanine and Inneskeen Area Heritage Group. Story consultant, Lara McCarthy. And my thanks to Mike Russell and to all involved in that excellently produced play. And that brings part two of Programme Two to a close. Coming up in part three after the break, more discussion on the subject with legal historian Sean Enright and well-known Dublin historian Gerard Shannon. All of that is just around the corner on Where the Road Takes Me right here on C103.